0: Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to stories of discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the communications director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of just fewer than 1,000 churches throughout Kansas and Nebraska. I'm also a certified lay minister in the United Methodist Church, So what you hear on this show truly comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 25 years experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teenagers to 90-somethings. And I served as a journalist for 20 years prior to entering ministry. So I'm excited to share with you stories of disciples in action and to explore with you what the Bible has to teach us in the 21st century. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes feature interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. Still others include short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. The late author and United Methodist pastor James Moore tells the story of a rich man who came to his office one day. This man had wealth, he had power, but none of that mattered in that moment. You see, he had just come from the doctor and he had just received a diagnosis that he had six months to a year to live. And the man broke down in tears because he realized, and he shared this with Pastor Moore, that for all the things he had done throughout his life, he had not prepared himself much for this need, this need for a spiritual strength. He was lost. As I told you in the last episode, we're embarking together on this short series about Noah and the faith lessons that we can learn by boarding the ark with him. Today, we're gonna to dive into the first of our lessons from the ark. In this episode, we're going to strive to board the ark with our spiritual strength. And we're gonna do things just a little differently for a few episodes. I was recently in Lincoln, Nebraska, conducting some interviews for an upcoming episode that I'm putting together on ministries that receive grants from the Nebraska United Methodist Foundation. So while I was there, I sat down with Reverend Dr. Richard Randolph, the Director of Stewardship with the Foundation. He sat down with me to talk briefly about the topics that we're going to explore while we're on our metaphorical arc. So at various points during these next few episodes, we'll pause for a few minutes and listen in on a conversation that Richard and I had on these topics. Topics including purpose, perseverance, and compassion. In this episode, we're going to kick off the series by talking about spiritual strength. And strength really is the key word there. You know, when we think of being strong, we tend to think of big muscles, from doing the heavy lifting in the gym, mental toughness from lessons learned in the past, and endurance that comes from training. In other words, strength doesn't just happen, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes a lot of preparation. And we know that to be true when it comes to our physical strength, so why would it be any different for our spiritual strength? As I shared last time, Noah had to put in the time and the effort to prepare for the storms coming in his life. He built the ark during the times of sunshine before the storm. He had to lift heavy wood, he had to put in the tough manual labor, and he had to endure what almost certainly was ridicule from those around him. But when the time came, when the rain started, the waters rose, he was prepared. And that preparation is one of the lessons we can take from the ark. And in particular, I'm talking about preparation necessary to build up the spiritual strength that we'll need for this lifelong journey on our own metaphorical arc. To learn more, we're going to explore one of the great parables taught by Jesus. This one dealt specifically with preparation. Before we read the scripture though, let's provide a little context. A wedding in biblical times was one of the most significant causes for celebration in an entire village. The high point was the groom entering the bride's home and taking her to the new home that they would share together. You see, after the ceremony, the bride and the groom would gather together and enter into the home of her parents, and there they would discuss the dowry, or what the groom would gift the parents for taking their daughter. They might discuss some other business if there was anything necessary, and then the couple would joyfully run to their new home, often taking the longest route possible to extend the parade and the celebration throughout the streets of the village. And the parable that we're going to read picks up at that point. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. At that moment, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten young bridesmaids who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Now five of them were wise and the other five were foolish. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't bring oil for them. But the wise ones took their lamps and also brought containers of oil. When the groom was late in coming, they all became drowsy and went to sleep. But at midnight there was a cry, Look! The groom! Come out to meet him! Then all those bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. But the foolish bridesmaids said to the wise ones, Give us some of your oil because our lamps have gone out. But the wise bridesmaids replied, No! Because if we share with you, there won't be enough for our lamps and yours. We have a better idea. You go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the groom came. Those who were ready went with him into the wedding. Then the door was shut. Later, the other bridesmaids came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep alert because you don't know the day or the hour. The bridesmaids are waiting for the party to get started. They're waiting for that parade so they can enter the reception hall. And within that, there are 10 of them. It's a pretty big party. Five thought, hmm, this might take a while. So they brought extra oil for their lamps. The other five just came with their lamps in hand. And when the groom, which really means the wedding party, was late, well, those bridesmaids got tired and kind of hunkered down for a short nap. And you better believe those lamps that they were carrying, they kept those burning. So when the wedding party draws near, the foolish bridesmaids notice that their lamps are running out of oil. They try to borrow some, but they can't find anyone who's willing to give them any. So they go off to buy more. And it's while they're off buying more oil, that's when the party finally comes and enters the reception hall, and once they're in, those doors are locked behind them, so the foolish bridesmaids miss out on all the fun to be had. They learned a lesson about preparation, or rather, the lack of preparation. Now, that illustration by Jesus, well, it's all about the Kingdom of Heaven. The lamp might very well represent holding the light of the world, or Jesus, or belief in Jesus. The wise bridesmaids did and got admitted into the party. The foolish ones did not, and they missed out. This is a story about salvation. But remember, this series is about the lessons from the ark, which is another story about salvation. What I want to address in this episode is the idea of preparation. The bridesmaids who brought extra oil were prepared. When the challenge came, in this case a late parade, they were ready. Now go back to that story for just a moment about the wealthy man in Pastor James Moore's office. He was used to getting what he wanted. He didn't really know what it was like to be uncomfortable, let alone to lose. In fact, he told Reverend Moore that he could go to any bank on a moment's notice and borrow whatever money he needed because his assets and his reputation were that good. The business deal was that secure. But what wasn't secure was his spiritual strength. In that area, he was weak he was like a foolish bridesmaid. For all those earthly accomplishments, which no doubt took great commitment, he failed to commit to the things that would make a difference. So in this episode, quickly, as we board our own arc of spiritual strength, I think there are three things that are important to pack and take along. Three commitments, if you will, to help us along the journey. So let's take a look at those three in reverse order. Third is commitment to the Bible. Almost everyone here listening probably has a Bible, probably multiple. My wife is a pastor, and I also serve a church, and so I did kind of the fun thing of looking at just the bookshelf in my office and the desk in hers, and I counted 15 Bibles between the two of us. Now, you can borrow a Bible if you don't have one, but that's not what I'm talking about here. Possession is not really the idea. The commitment that I'm talking about is the commitment to reading it, trying to absorb it, and dare I say, even question it. You see, I think we need to look at the Bible as a reference book. It's not a moment-by-moment history. One time I even preached a sermon about dinosaurs uh, when I was talking about creation. It's not a history book as far as matching up year by year. Instead, it is a history of the overall love of God for all of us. So, read the Bible. I encourage you to read it. Mark it up. Make notes. Highlight it. You should treat the Bible like it's a trusted friend. Spend time with it. Significant time, at least a little bit each day. Be aware that you won't understand everything about it, just like your friends. And by the way, you probably won't like all the parts of it. Just like all of our friends can get on our nerves in some way by that one little thing that they do, the Bible's going to have stuff like that too. But we're committed to our friends. Make a commitment to the Bible, just as you would for anything else that you like or for which you have a passion. So that's the third thing. Second is commitment to prayer. I know prayer scares some people you feel like you don't know what to say or that you're going to say the wrong thing. I just say go back to that friend analogy. I've heard it said by several people now that you should be able to consider prayer as a friendship with God. So just talk to God like you would with a friend. You don't have to use words that you don't normally use. Matter of fact, I encourage you not to use words that you don't normally use. Just talk. Sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm really not sure how I should start, and I don't want to just ask for things, and that's good. Um, There's a great song that says, uh, basically, praying to God, God isn't a wishing well, and that's true. But just talk. Start by sharing your joys, things that make you happy, things you're thankful for. And then share your sorrows and your concerns. And for goodness sake, ask questions. It's perfectly okay. But I do encourage you to do this. This is just a strategy that I use, but I found it very helpful. If you're going to ask the question, you need to allow time for God to answer. So when you're done with your prayer, don't just hop up and get back to your life. Sit there in silence for a few minutes. Just pause. Sometimes the answer comes to you. God answers. It doesn't always have to be a loud voice. Sometimes it can just be a feeling or it can be clarity in your thoughts. But save time for God to answer. Finally, and most importantly, of the commitments. So the first was to the Bible. The second was to prayer. This one is commitment to Christ. It needs to be genuine. Commitment means over time. It means commitment for more than just a passing moment. There's a story I heard recently about Lucy Baines Johnson. She's the daughter of President Lyndon Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson, and she tells a story about her mother. Lady Bird had a stroke in 1993 and couldn't communicate, and so Lucy, being the dutiful daughter, would go each day, hold her hand, and would pray with her mother. After many weeks, one day, uh, Lucy was saying the Lord's Prayer, and Lady Bird started to mouth the words. She couldn't say anything. She wasn't, uh, you you couldn't hear it. She wasn't verbal yet, but she was mouthing the words. And so Lucy kept doing that day after day after day. As I understand the story, finally one day Lucy started off saying, Our Father, and Lady Bird then, loud enough for everyone in the room to hear, picked up, Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and continued to say the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Lucy was astonished. She went to the doctor afterwards and said, how is this even possible? And the doctor thought for a moment, looked at her, and said, well, your mother has been saying that same prayer for 84 years. I really appreciated hearing that story from one of James Moore's books. It talks about commitment over time to Christ. I think we're going to pause right here and wrap up with the discussion that I promised you with Reverend Dr. Richard Randolph. This discussion goes a little longer than the others in this series, but I wanted to allow time for you to get to know Richard. And our discussion this time focuses on preparation, about devotion to Christ, that commitment to prayer, and earnest study of the Bible. I'm joined now by Reverend Richard Randolph, who is the Director of Stewardship for the Nebraska United Methodist Foundation. Uh, I met Richard in 2015, I think it was, uh, when I moved to Lincoln, uh, started my role at the Great Plains Conference. And he he and I have stayed in contact over the years. I think I can call him a friend. Um, And so uh, I thought it might be kind of fun as we go through this series of episodes talking about building our own arc, metaphorically, to talk about these subjects with him. Uh, And so the reason, Richard, I wanted To do this with you is, I know you're a deep thinker, uh, way more so than me. He's chuckling right now, but I know that's true. But also because of the topics that I chose, Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like your background is really good for those. Would you mind telling folks briefly kind of some of the stuff you've done in your ministry? Because you're only about a year into this, not even quite a year in the role that you're in. You right. were serving in local churches for a long time. Right. You were involved with a lot of justice ministries over your career. So tell folks a little bit about some of the things you've been involved in.
1: Okay. Um, so I um, I went to divinity school right out, out of college, and uh, I was ordained. And um, then I spent seven years in the Baltimore-Washington Conference in in different parishes. My first appointment was a two-point charge and I stayed there for six years. Um, And then following those seven years, I uh, went out to California to the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley and leisurely got my PhD. I say leisurely because it took so long. Uh, While I was out there working on my dissertation, I was invited to apply for a position At the center for theology and the natural sciences which is an affiliate of the graduate theological union and i was director of um, a program director there for three years and had an amazing opportunity to uh, really dive into the dialogue between science and faith Um, i met a lot of really cool people um, a number of nobel scientists uh, got to travel around the world, and it was really a good experience. Um, and then from there, I was uh, on the faculty at St. Paul's School of Theology for, I think it was eight years. And then from there, uh, I was on the faculty at um, Kansas City University's um, Osteopathic Medical School. Uh, I was uh, invited to be a part of that faculty because my PhD is in ethics, bioethics. And they were looking to start a master's program uh, in bioethics. I was recruited to help to help start that, and I did. And um, <clears throat> then after four years there, I I just um, thought that maybe it was time to get back into the parish um, and to be a pastor again. Um, and so um, I I did that. I was uh, the pastor in Meriden at the Meriden United Methodist Church in in Kansas, just north of Topeka for four years, and then came to Lincoln and served as senior pastor at Christ United Methodist Church for eight years. And so now, uh, beginning this past July, I I began as the Director of Stewardship here at the Nebraska United Methodist Foundation.
0: So see, I said deep thinker, (laughs) (laughs) PhD says that, I think. Something oh, else, though, that he
1: PhD is all just about per- perseverance. Uh, there you go. Yeah. And
0: we're going to talk about perseverance uh, in one of these episodes. But uh, one, something else you need to know about him uh, is, is he ran the steeplechase in college. He did. He ran the steeplechase at, now at Duke University. Mm-hmm. So for the Jayhawks out there, we're going to forgive him for that. <laughs> um, but just so you know, this is a guy that, that he, he's, he has one of the more fascinating backgrounds of the people I've encountered. We'll put it that way. Thank you. In this episode, we're talking about spiritual strength mm-hmm. and how when we get—however we load our ark, when we get off our ark, we want to make sure we've got spiritual strength to start over with. Mm-hmm. And the scripture that we've used for this <clears throat> episode is Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 13. We read it a little bit earlier. And that one deals with the story of the ten bridesmaids, or the ten maidens, uh, depending on your translation. Right. Uh, why don't you walk us through uh, what, what's the, kind of the undertone of that story and why is it so significant that Jesus would spend time telling it?
1: Well, uh, my interpretation of that scripture is that the, the, the message is that we need to be uh, always watchful and always prepared um, and uh, anticipating the coming kingdom of God. We have no idea when it's going to arrive so we need to be prepared and to be prepared to receive the kingdom of god for me means to be prepared spiritually so that's why i think um cultivating uh, one's um uh, spiritual life is so incredibly integral to what it means to be a follower
0: of christ yeah well, that preparation is a, is a key component i think for for this scripture um and especially the idea of how we prepare mm-hmm. so one of the reasons I brought up the steeplechase in this in this episode in particular was yeah. you don't just go out and run the steeplechase. Oh. Um, what was some of the preparation like for that?
1: A lot of the preparation for the steeple is similar to what the other distance runners are doing, whether they're running the five thousand or the ten thousand meters. Uh, or even the the mile. Um, so it's uh, preparation every day. At the college level, the expectation is that you will run twice a day. Uh, in the afternoon, you run uh, with the, in the team practice, and the coach sets up a schedule of, of, of workouts for you. In the morning, it's more of a on your own when you get up, and uh, usually it's like a just a quick, brisk five miles or so to get get yourself going, but one of the things we were all always trying to do is to have the base of our – of the mileage we did per week. So um, we were looking for, uh, during the season, 70, 75 miles per week of, of training runs. And so the morning workouts are really important for, for being able to achieve that goal.
0: How, how many times did you splash in the water?
1: Pretty much every time I ran through the, the <laughs> steeple, uh, which was the idea. I – I was coached by uh, Al Bueller, who uh, was a longtime track coach at Duke, and he was a, he was an amazing coach. He was a specialist in the steeplechase. He actually wrote articles uh, that were published around the world about how to coach the st- steeplechase. So I was always in good hands there. Um, some of the extra work uh, would be practicing stepping the, the barriers. So sometimes I'd get up in the morning and instead of uh, – when he told me to, instead of going in and knocking out my five to six miles, I would I would jog over to the stadium, the track stadium, and just practice uh, for 20 minutes, just stepping the, the barriers. Um, and um, and unless you're a world-class athlete and you're moving really fast through the steeplechase, um, Coach Bueller thought it was best to um, – let me, let me stop and just say, the steeplechase water – is called the water hazard – and you, it, there's a barrier, and you step on top of the barrier and then sort of stretch out um, to land. And it's it's two and a half feet right under the barrier, and then it slopes up. And so um, running through water can really drain the energy out of your legs. So the idea was to jump it in such a way that you landed in about three to four inches of water, which would cushion your, the landing. Y- but it wouldn't slow you down, and so um, uh, that's that was what we would practice. Um, and hopefully,
0: that keeps you from wiping out completely.
1: Yeah. Well, there's always that. That always makes it interesting.
0: <laughs> that's what everybody watches it for, right? As you get to that water, I guess the reason I wanted you to talk about that is because the whole idea behind that is you have to be prepared, right? Uh, and with this story of the of the of the ten maidens or bridesmaids, however you want to put it. The idea was preparation for those, for those five women that brought the extra oil. Because mm-hmm. um, the whole idea of the wedding party was you didn't know when the wedding party was going to come down the street. Right. You just knew they were going to come at some point because they're going to weave up and down each of those streets as they go from the house of the, of the, the, the parents mm-hmm. to wherever they were residing anew. And so some of them didn't bring extra oil and mm-hmm. some of them did. Um, I just find that really interesting from a preparation standpoint. I totally agree that I, the whole idea behind the story really is about uh, being prepared for when the kingdom... Right. But the idea also is we can have a role in ushering the kingdom in now, um, at least well, in some I, small way.
1: I think is that's part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Um, uh, from a Christian perspective, we believe that uh, the kingdom of God has already come, but it's not complete. So it's here, but yet not not yet here. And so you can think about that in terms of, um, you know, creating the kingdom of God within your your own heart and within your own life and then working to establish the kingdom of God um, or the reign of God um, throughout the world. So um, it's really interesting that... um, one one of the things we believe uh, as Christians is that um, we worship a canonic God, uh, which means a God who's self-emptying, which means that God makes room for humans to be a part in this, to be a part of the process of establishing the kingdom of God. It's not like we, as United Methodists, we believe that we're going to just sort of sit around and wait for the kingdom to come, like the the bridesmaids necessarily but no we've been invited to be in the in the process as a part of the process of establishing God's kingdom and uh, and God's reign and so uh, a term I like to use is that we are called to be created co-creators of the reign of God and um, or another way to say is we're sort of gener- uh, junior partners in the process. So we're invited to be a part of that process of creating God's, establishing God's reign here on earth. But we are doing it as finite, mistake-prone human individuals. And so we, we aren't equal partners in this by, by a long shot. Instead, we're, we're junior partners. Mm-hmm. So um, for me, that's part of what it means to be a Christian uh, and to be a, a faithful Christian is to be to be always looking for the kingdom of God and always looking for how I can be a part of bringing in uh, the kingdom of God
0: or, or God's reign. So one of the key components of the, at least here's what I, here's what I'm saying anyway, is, is three components that I really focused on. Uh, one is well, all it has to do with preparation as your, for your spiritual strength. Right. So the three items, uh, first and foremost, is commitment to Christ, mm-hmm. and then commitment to prayer, and, and finally commitment to to the Bible or to Scripture. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, that means study, because mm-hmm. um, we're going to interpret the Bible differently, especially some of the verses that, as we all know, are are, are out there for people to argue about right now. But right. Um, well, I think it's important to realize that. The Bible,
1: um, the Bible is is an ancient document. It goes way, way, way back, and the Bible is the sacred t- teachings, the sacred scriptures for all Christians, which means that the Bible needs to speak to Christians down through the ages, in all different times, but also in all different circumstances, including our own. So, as um, an affluent, privileged North American. Um, <clears throat> I need to look at the Bible to see what it says to me, but what it says to me may be really different than what it says to somebody who's a, a refugee in a refugee camp in uh, South America or the
0: Middle East. Right, right. Uh, I had a, so one of my favorite things to do in the local church was facilitate disciple one, mm-hmm. Bible study. Yep. Um, and then I, from there, I taught just the adult Sunday school classes uh, in, the, in the past. There was a woman that was uh, one of my, I hate to say student because she was in her upper 80s <laughs> but she was a retired nurse and she was always very profound and, and helped people understand her classmates understand that how she read the bible when she was 25 was very different than when she was 50 was mm-hmm. very different when she was 75 to the very that very day right. she learned she could read the same scripture those four times and they were they said different things to her oh, right
1: she was bringing different questions to the text right because of, as she goes through life, as any of us go through life, we grow, we change, and then so we need to—the Bible needs to speak to us when we're 13 and when we're 103.
0: Right. So one of the things I, I guess I want to—before we let go of this episode is I want to ask you, as a pastor, when you were working with people in your congregations, mm-hmm. if they had a question about reading the Bible, what was your advice that you gave them?
1: My advice would be to uh, to to not begin at the beginning and just treat it like an ordinary book. The, the Bible is actually a, a library all in one volume, uh, but to to pick out a particular book and to begin focusing on that and reading that um, particular book. So, you know, if you're struggling with questions of of evil, um, then I would and you came to me as a pastor. I would say, well, we need to look at the book of Job because Job is really struggling. That book in the Bible is really struggling with the problem of evil. But it's a really difficult book. I mean, if you just sit down and read it, it's very difficult. So it's really handy to have a commentary by your side uh, that was written by uh, someone who's studied the book even more than than you have and has this commentary, maybe some background, some contextual information, um, so it helps you understand the the, that particular scripture um, but I also think it's important just to note that um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say two things here uh, Christianity is intended to be a commun a communal religion it's not it's not intended to be an individual re- religion where we you know we just we're just in ourselves and we're just talking to ourselves it's Jesus didn't call a disciple he called 12 right and and so, and with that said, I will say I read my Bible as part of my daily uh, uh, devotions uh, by myself. But I think it's also important to be a part of a community where the community um, um, uh, studies the Bible and explores the Bible together, which is why your Bible study is so important uh, because it gives the, the members of, of your church that community of study. So that we can learn from one another, even as we're learning from the Bible and studying a particular a particular book in the Bible.
0: So we've talked a little bit about commitment to Christ, uh, what we do as Christians. We talked a little bit about the commitment to Scripture. Uh, let's close with talking about prayer. Um, one of the things I, I've talked with people is just don't t- don't try to use language you don't normally use. Mm-hmm. Just talk to God as if God is your friend, mm-hmm. uh, because God is your friend, uh, and. Start with your celebrations and feel free to share your sorrows and mm-hmm. maybe end with a thank you and, and go on with it. Don't overthink it, basically. Right. Uh, what about you know, in, in your roles as, as pastor over the years? Um, what have, what's been your counsel as far as when people have questioned? you know, Pastor, I'm just not good at prayer. I'm afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing.
1: I guess my counsel would be always um, it's okay to say the wrong thing. Uh, as long as your heart is right. Mm. Um, We're finite human beings, and so we're going to make mistakes. And really, when you get right down to it, the church is for sinners. Mm. Uh, The the church is for sinners. People say, well, Christians are hypocrites, and I'm like, well, yeah, I can see that. But at the same time, if, if you legitimately love Christ, you recognize that you have a long way to go before you're uh, before you're a finished product. So, um, you know, it's um, important to just do your best and have your heart in the right place. Uh, there are different forms of, of prayer, which, which which you sort of alluded to just a minute ago. Um, I'm a big journal keeper. Okay. So I found that instead of, you know, kneeling down and and just praying a verbal prayer, it's better for me to to write a prayer in my journal, and I actually keep two journals. Uh, interestingly enough, one one for the morning and one for the evening. Uh, the one for the morning is where I do my reflection, and I'm I'm like I'm I think think of it as I'm writing a letter to God. Okay, this is what I want to say to God this morning as I begin uh, as I begin my day, um, and then the second journal in the evening. Um, is, um, a gratitude journal. I just, I just, I'm trying to have, maintain the spiritual discipline of in the, in the evening, as I, my day winds down to think about my day and to just think of, of three blessings that have occurred to me or that I've witnessed, and then to just write those down and give God, thanks give it's the, a God great thanks. mindset
0: to close your day. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Well, I'm one of those th- people who thinks that your day begins the night before. Uh, because, uh, for me, at any rate, the, my, my day to my, my day today is greatly influenced by when I got in bed the night
0: before. <laughs> I think that's true of most of us as we get older. <laughs> it's, I don't think it has anything to do with age. I,
1: I, I read that in a time management book. I thought, well, this is great. I always thought, well, you know, my day begins when I get up and I have a cup of coffee and I sit down. Um, but no, the, the, the way to think about it is, no, it, it begins with uh, the end of the day, which means I need to write my schedule for the next day that, that, at the end of the day. I get up, I know what I need to do.
0: Excellent. Richard Randolph, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of In Layman's Terms. I hope you enjoyed that discussion that I had with Richard Randolph. And I'm happy to say that he'll be with us for three more episodes as we explore the lessons from the Ark, as we prepare ourselves for the storms of life ahead. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you like what you've heard in this episode, Please go rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps others find us. And if you're so inclined, please share the link to this podcast on your social media channels. Our music and sound effects come via subscriptions to Universal Production Music and to Storyblocks. You can find archived episodes on the conference website at www.greatplainsumc.org/podcasts or on my website toddseifert.com. Please email me with any questions or comments to tseifert at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thank you for listening and until next time please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.